wants you in his army, but Jesus wants you serving in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. That's going to be good. You're going to want to be there for that. Hey, special thank you to the cleaning team. Special thank you to the cleaning team. They came out and they did a deep cleaning yesterday, Friday night. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on. Uh, you guys are awesome. Cleaning team is the best. I love, I love, love, love starting on the cleaning team. It's great, 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 great. Um, also, on the, on the video announcements you saw, we will have a special guest speaker on March 20th, uh, Micah Stockdale. He is the, um, C, uh, capital, he is the executive director for the Capital Region Branch of Compass Care. He is the executive director of the Capital Region Branch of Compass Care. Compass Care is adopting a light care center, pregnancy resource center. Compass Care is a pregnancy decision center. They are a full medical facility, and they have a goal of reducing abortion in the capital region by 50%. They've done it in Buffalo. Or I'm sorry, they've done it in Rochester. They are on course to do it in Buffalo. They have a proven ministry of doing this. They are coming here to the capital region. They are, they are adopting a light care, and they are going to be setting up shop right here, and they're going to be servicing women, and abortion will end as we know it. Come on, amen? You know how I know? Because I've been praying for it, and God answers prayer. We've been praying for it for far too long for it to not happen. It's happening here. We're going to wrap up uh, one, just one final quick. If you can get on to that 40-day fast, this is, a, this is a, a fantastic. We send an email out every day. You can fast whatever you want. Maybe it's just whatever takes you away from that presence of God. You don't have to fast food. I'm actually not fasting um, food this fast. I've, I've done that many times in other fasts. I'm fasting other things. So you can fast social media, television, movies, whatever it is that distracts you from spending time with God. We're wrapping up the presence of God series. The presence of God, I've said this before, I'll say it again. The presence of God, there is no substitute for the presence of God in your life. There is one thing that you need in your life, and it is the presence of God. God can do in one moment what we as pastors and counseling and cannot do in an entire lifetime. God can do it in a moment. God will do it in a moment. And so I've set my priority. The first thing that I've got to have, the one thing that I cannot live without is the presence of God in my life. I, I just, I've just made the decision that it's just not worth doing it if I don't have the presence of God. If I have to substitute and give up the presence of God, then it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. There's nothing that's worth it for me to give up the presence of God. There's nothing better. There's no place that I would rather be. David, the King, King David, there's no place that I would rather be than here in your presence. Have we come to this place? There's one thing that I will not let go of. There's one thing that I will not stop seeking after, and it's the presence of God. What do I want here on a Sunday morning? I don't care if I bring the most excellent message. I mean, I work really hard, and I want to be good. I want you to hear what needs to be spoken, but I want the presence of God to touch your life because no matter what I say, in a moment, God can touch your heart and change you. I could counsel you and give you wisdom for 20 years and you'll still remain in the same place in your sin, but God in a moment can touch you and it's gone forever and you never deal with it again. That's the presence of God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
get a little excited about this. We all should. We all should. I'm up here. I'm trying to rev you guys up, and I'm hearing a little bit. I'm hearing a little something-something. Jesus. God is good. God is good. Man, that was a good word today. Janice, good word. Elizabeth, good word. Some of us are on an IV drip, right? You've seen this in the hospital. You get one little drop, and you can turn that meter up. You can turn that meter down, and they know just exactly how much of that stuff, whatever it is that you're getting per second, how much of the Holy Spirit, how much of the presence of God do you have flowing through your arm right now, right? We're on, some of us are on IV drip, and God wants a mighty rushing river flowing through us. We're measuring it by drops, and he wants to measure it by thousands of gallons per second. You've got a little t- bag and a little tube and a little drip, drip, drip. Meanwhile, he wants you, like the Hudson River, to just be like, whoosh. Come on. <laughs> All right. Come on. You guys are getting there. Today I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about knowing him, right? Because the presence of God, what's, this, what's the big deal? Pastor Matt, what's the big deal, right? God's going to do something for me? It's not even what he does. What he does is fantastic. What he does is beautiful. But it's even more than that. It's the fact that I get to know him. I get to know him. And he wants to know me. He wants to know me and he wants me to know him. When, when God came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, come here, look. You look, look, see this? You see this? You see all this? I'm going to give you this whole thing, the, the nation of Israel. It's about the size of New Jersey. Hey, I'm going to give you New Jersey. You want New Jersey? The whole thing. It's yours. I'm going to give you New Jersey. Look up into the skies, Abraham. You see the stars in the skies? Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the skies. You can't begin to count that. There's so many stars up there. They're blending together and they're forming this bright white cloud off in the distance that we couldn't count them if we tried. Even today, they're still trying to count the stars. There's more. They keep discovering more. How ma- You're going to have more descendants than that. You're going to have all this land. You're going to have all of this. You're going to have this awesome land. You're going to have this awesome stuff. You're going to have, you're going to have, you're going to have, you're going to have, you're going to have. And then he says this. I think it's Genesis chapter 12, 15. It's in there somewhere. You'll find it. Just start reading. (laughs) Keep reading, I should say. Just keep reading. He says, Abraham. I am your exceedingly great reward. I'm going to give you New Jersey. You're going to have more descendants than we can count. But the beautiful thing, the best thing, the most important thing is me. You get me. You get to know me as I get to know you. All of this other stuff, New Jersey, you can have it. I don't want to move there. Respectfully. (laughs) I get to know God. I get to know God. 
When I first started attending the church, the, the vision of the church was to know the Lord and to make it known, to, to know the Lord and to make him known. And I grabbed a hold of that. I said, yeah, I want to know God. I want to know God. I'm going to spend my life knowing God, knowing God. The day I got saved, the day I prayed the prayer, it was right over there, back, right behind Pedro. The day I prayed the prayer and gave my life to the Lord, someone shared with me that they, they had grown up in a, a denominational church the same way that I had, and they said, before I got saved, I knew God the way that I know the president. He lives in a big white house down in D.C. He's got two dogs. I'll leave it there. When I came to know the Lord, I came to know the Lord, or when I gave my life to God, when I prayed that prayer of salvation, I came to know God like I know my wife. I know everything about her. I know when she's mad, even when she's smiling. I know when she's nervous. I know when she's, you name it, I know. Why do I know? Because I've spent so much time with her. We've done so many things together. I can look at her and know that she's a little uncomfortable right now because I'm bringing her up. <laughs> she's gotten used to it. It's good. God's breaking things. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. When I first got saved, there were two scriptures that I memorized. This was one of them. The very first two scriptures that I memorized were Matthew 7.14 and Matthew 7.21. Matthew 7.14 says, Enter in through the narrow gate, for wide is the path and broad is the, uh, wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many are they that enter in through it. But narrow is the gate and, and small is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to life, and few are they that find it. And so that scripture was very important to me. I said, If the path is narrow, then I'll walk the narrow path. If the gate is small, then I'm going in by the small gate. And then Matthew 21 was one that kind of actually frightened me a little bit, and this is what we're going to read now. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness. And so I was a new Christian. I wasn't saved three months. I read this scripture and I said, listen, these guys are performing miracles, casting demons and prophesying, and they're not getting into the heaven. What chance do I have? I haven't done any of these things. Now here we stand a little bit later. God regularly gives me prophecy. We're regularly, we're regularly praying for people and demons are being cast out and miracles are regularly, regularly happening. People are regularly being healed at this point. Carpal tunnel syndrome gone. Pacemakers removed, hearts healed, lumps removed. Does anybody care that the glory of God is being poured out in this place? Come on, I'm going to continue to testify of what God has done because it's miraculous and it's unbelievable and he's doing it here. He's healing hands. Zach hadn't been able to make a fist for a year and a half. God healed his hand. He can make a fist now. Carpal tunnel syndrome's been healed. Glory to God. George isn't here today. I don't see him. He had his pacemaker removed and God healed his heart. 
Listen, don't, get, don't become too accustomed to me just telling you the same things over and over and over again. And then I will declare to them all of these things. I hadn't done any of them. They're, they're, they're happening now. But it's not that. It doesn't matter whether they're happening or not. It's not that. What did he say? He said, I will tell them. They said they've done all these things. He, he says, I will tell them. Depart from me. Here's the important part, guys. I never knew you. What decides whether we get in or whether or not we don't get in? It doesn't matter if it's whether or not you healed anybody or prayed for anybody or you did stuff. None of that matters. Jesus doesn't say, you didn't get in here because you didn't do some things. Is that in the text? Did he say, uh, you didn't, depart from me, you didn't do some stuff? Did he, it doesn't say, you, you didn't believe right. It doesn't say, well, you believed in pre-trib and it was post-trib, so see ya. That's not there. He doesn't say, you believed in pre-millennial and it's amillennial. That's not there. I'm reading it. You're reading it. It's not there. He says this. He says, I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? Presence of God. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Does he know you? You think you know him? Let me ask you a question. How does God like his eggs? I've asked this question before. I don't know how. Right? It's, <laughs> he doesn't eat them. He still likes them. God, how does God like his eggs? And it's a reference to uh, Runaway Bride. Who's, who's ever seen that movie, right? And so the girl in Runaway Bride didn't even know how she liked her own eggs. She would only ever eat them the way that the guy that she was dating or going to be marrying was going to be eating them. And so the way that she ate her eggs continually changed over time, over time, over time. How does God like his eggs? How does he like his coffee? I know, how, <laughs> I know how my wife likes her coffee. I can make it for her. I do regularly and often. She knows how she, I like my coffee. I know how Pastor Tom likes his coffee. One sugar and just a little bit of cream so that it's the color of caramel. I know. I know. How do I know? Because I've spent so much time with them. I know. I don't know how all of you like your coffee. How, what happened? We've spent an exorbitant amount of time together drinking coffee. So now I know how he likes his coffee. This scripture is repeated throughout, this, this phrase, I never knew you, is repeated throughout scripture. Matthew 25, the ten virgins, five are wise, five are foolish, five come, they're let in, five come later, and he says, I never knew you. I don't know you. Afterward, the other virgins, the five other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But the Lord answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And so you see this phrase repeated throughout scripture, Luke 13, 25, once, when once the master of the house, God, has risen up and shut the door, and you began to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer, and he will say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? On that day, 
on that day, when we breathe our last and we go to be with Jesus, do we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Or do we want to hear the words, I never knew you? It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. And let's take it one step further. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It's the, it's the message to the lukewarm church, the church of the Laodiceans. And he says, behold, I stand at the door, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. God doesn't want this surface level relationship. God wants to go deep. He wants to go really, really deep. He wants you to have such a relationship with him that your life is transformed by his presence. He wants to have such a relationship with you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is written to the church, guys. Too many times we hear people using this scripture and they're using it to try and get somebody saved. Jesus is knocking on your heart. Won't you let him in? He's writing to the church. He's writing to the church. And he says, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Are you going to let me in? Maybe you've already made a decision for Christ, but maybe you just don't. Spend enough time with God, and he's knocking on your heart, and he's saying, come on, let me in. Come on, let me in. And when he comes in, I don't know, why do we, why do we stay out? Is it because we're afraid he's going to say something wrong? Is it, is it because we're afraid he's going to be telling us that we're doing something wrong? If you think that that's what's going to happen, it's not. Jesus doesn't... You'll find those things out, but that's not what Jesus is all about. He says, I will dine with him. I want to have a meal with you. I just want to gather with you. I want to share my heart with you. I, want to, I just want to love on you. We sang the song. We want to love God. God wants to love us. We love him because he first loved us. He wants to, he wants to die. He, he said to the disciples when, he, when they sat down to eat the Passover meal, he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. This wasn't a, a mild thing. He wasn't like, hey, great to have you guys here. Let's have supper. No, he's like, yes, finally. Yeah, we get to do this, guys. We get to have this meal. Jesus was more than a little excited. I have eagerly desired. He had waited three and a half years. Here it is. Here it is. This is the last meal they're going to share. This is the last night they're going to be together. The Gospel of John devotes six chapters to what Jesus says at that meal. You You think that that meal was a little bit mildly important? Yeah, John devoted six chapters of his Gospel of 22 chapters to one meal. Something transpired there. This is what God wants. He wants to invite us into this place where we can just fellowship with him, where we can sup with him, where we can just enjoy his presence. And just enjoying his presence. Have you ever just enjoyed the presence of God? Just enjoy. You got to come back. We got we to come back to this place where we just get together with God just because I like to hang out with him. I just like hanging out with him. 
I eat dinner with my wife all the time. I mean, I don't know. It's very rare that we're not together. We work together. We've worked together for 30 year, 32 years. <laughs> my wife came to work for my dad, who I was working for, and we started working together, and that's how I got to know her. Then she invited me to church, and I said, sure. Uh-huh, yeah. Pretty girl's asking me to church. I'll go. I'm already a churchgoer. What's the difference? I'll go check this out. Got saved, engaged, married, took over the business for my father. We still worked together. Then we took over, then uh, we, we, we became the, I became the senior pastor of the church. She got hired by the church, and we still worked together. We worked together every single day of our lives. We're hardly ever apart, and I love it, and I think she does too, most of the time. We have the kids over all the time. We have meals. I meet with people, and we have a meal. Hey, let's go out for coffee this week. Hey, can I meet you for lunch this week? Why? Because there's something that's transpired, and there's something that's shared, and there's something that's exchanged over a meal that you don't get any other way. What is it? I don't know. I haven't figured it out. I can't begin to describe it to you. All I know is that there's more transpired when there's food exchanged than when there's not. Coffee will work. Not as good as food, but coffee's better than nothing. I don't know why. I, there's nothing that tells me why. Somebody will probably go and do a study and figure it out. Praise God, and then I'll tell you. I don't need to know. I just know that it works, and so we do it. God wants to have this meal with you. He wants to come in and just spend time. He wants to just hang out. We were talking about, um, we, were, we were in the small group um, this week for my small group. And without getting into a ton of detail, uh, we, were, we were talking about prophecy and there was a message that I heard, and the one pastor was asking Paul Kane some questions. And Paul Kane is a highly prophetic guy, and he's going around the room and all of this stuff. And the pastor who's sitting with him says, although Paul Kane, as a prophet, knew everything that was going on, God didn't necessarily want him to do something. And so this was part of our discussion in, in discussing activating the, the, the gifts. And so the pastor asked Paul Cain, this highly prophetic guy, why does God share those things with you if he doesn't want you to do anything about it? And Paul Cain responds and says, because he's my friend. Because I'm his friend. How many of us pick up the phone? And we call our friend. We complain about our work or there's something. Up. God isn't complaining about what's going on, clearly. He's just telling us what, what's going on. And so we tell our friends about our family, about work, about this, about that, about our whole life. And how many of us expect our friend to go running out and talk to our family or talk to our people at work or talk to this or talk to that and fix everything? No. Why are we telling our friends? Because we want to share it with somebody. We want to share life. 
He wants this deep relationship, this deep relationship. Just for a moment, just evaluate your relationship with God. Where is it? Where do you want it to be? What do you want it to look like? Speaking of giftings, are you flowing in your gifting? Is the gift that God has given you, is it being used? Are you putting it to use in the kingdom? This is where we're going next Sunday, serve, right? God wants you serving. God's given everyone a gift. Everyone has a gift. Some of you have more than one. Generally, we'll all have one that's predominant. Your gifts get activated out of an overflow of his presence in your life. Your gifts get activated out of an overflow of his presence in your life. If I have the gift of helps or prophecy or healing or miracles or words of knowledge or faith or administration or evangelism or any other gift, if I have any of the gifts, when I spend time with Jesus, when I'm in his presence, I'm not going to be able but to help to use the gifts that I have. All of a sudden, you got the gift of prophecy and you're spending more time in his presence. All of a sudden, God starts speaking to you. God starts speaking to you and then he's like, tell this one that, tell this one this, tell this one that, tell that one this, tell this one that, tell this one this. Words of knowledge. Miracles. You start praying for people. You just can't help yourself. Gift of helps, you just start helping people. Evangelism, you find yourself in the grocery market and you're like, hey, do you know Jesus? Hey, Jesus loves you. You just can't help yourself. Why? Because the presence of God is there. And you're so full, you've got to give it out. It becomes fire shut up in your bones. Jesus said this, uh, John chapter 5, he said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. We have the word of God so that we can find out who God is. We have the word of God so that we can find out who God is. The Bible tells us who God is. It describes him to us. It is a living word. It's not just dead letters on a page. It's alive. It lives and breathes. It has life in it. I can't tell you uh, other than the fact that I've been reading my Bible for 30 years and I'm still finding new stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. I've read my Bible forwards. I've read my Bible backwards. I've read my Bible till it's broken and split in half and pages have fallen out. I've memorized large portions of the text, as you can clearly see, but still, Still, I'm discovering new things. Why? Because it's alive. It's alive. It's not a dead book like every other book on the planet. It's alive. It is Jesus Christ. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word of God. It's Jesus. And as we read and as we understand, God reveals who he is. He's revealing who he is. Are we taking the time to just, just to get to know him? I love to just sit and read the Bible. I love it. 
I love it. I just, I'm, I'm actually, I have a problem. I like Bibles. I like, and so um, I have a picture. I should have, I should have thrown it in there at this point, but it didn't. My wife bought me a new one. I had said, you know, I want, I just feel like um, David just kind of randomly said, oh, if I could just get a drink of water. I was like, you know, I'd like to have an NLT, you know, hard copy. I read it out of the U version all the time, but I'd like a hard copy. So she bought it for me, and uh, she surprised it with me fe- uh, back in February, I think, January, late, late January. So it wasn't a Christmas gift. It was just this little extra, like, oh, here, I got this. So I, pull, I pulled the Bible out, and it's brown leather. Oh, this is good. And then I open it up. There is something about the pages of a Bible. Listen, guys, I've smelt other books. <laughs> I began this whole scenario by telling you that I have an issue. I'm addicted to the Word. I read my Word line upon line <laughs> and, pre- <laughs> and precept upon precept. Come on. I'm addicted. I just can't get enough. From a very early on point in my saved life, I was just reading this the other day out of another book, uh, and I re- they're talking about you have to know the word to know Jesus. And I was sitting next to my wife, and after I finished reading the chapter, I turned to her and I said, you know, for some reason... I understood that at a very early point in my Christian walk with God. I don't think I was probably even three months saved, and I understood. I don't know how I understood it. I don't know if a pastor said it. I don't know who told me it, but I needed to know the word in order to know God. And so I set myself on a course. When I went away to, to college after three months, I took and I, photo, I, I printed out scriptures. You, uh, Microsoft Word 94, I think. 94. No, it was before 94. 92. That's right. It was word perfect. Oh, my God. Printed out the sheets, pinned them to the wall. I've got scriptures all over my wall. Just devouring the word. I just can't get enough. It hasn't changed. (laughs) On the, I don't have it right now, but on the, um, Get out of the way. On the lock screen for my phone, it won't go to the lock screen. On the lock screen for my phone, I'll put scriptures there. I'll put a scripture there because I want to remember it. And how often do you see lock screen? You see it a lot. That's why we put a photo there that we like. Put a scripture there that you're trying to remember. See it all the time. Went black. You search the scriptures. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he's coming down on them. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. You're looking through the scriptures, and you're trying to figure it all out. But here's the secret, guys. I'm not saying that the word doesn't have a benefit for our life. It does. It's the instruction manual for all that we'll do. Here it is. You want to know how to run your car? Go read the instruction, the, the owner's manual. You want to know how to live your life? Here you go. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Lifesavers. It's not the 10 fun breakers. It's the 10 life extenders. It's the 10 protectors. It's the 10 safety guards. 375, 400, I don't remember the exact number of commands in the Old Testament. 
You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are that which points to me. It points back to me. It tells you who I am. I have, uh, um, I, I've shared before what my persuasion is on end time theology. And if you know anything about greater Christianity, my per- persuasion, my belief of end time theology is not popular. It's not the one that most people have. I want to tell you how I got there. See, I didn't get there because I studied the scriptures to figure out end time theology. What happened was, after many years of reading the Bible, after many years of taking this thing in, line upon line, precept upon precept, day after day, month after month, year after year, I came to know Jesus. And then all of a sudden, I came across this thing. Somebody started talking about end times. And I said, okay, I'll study that with you. Let's, let's figure this out. And, and they're teaching, and, I, and I'm like, that just doesn't seem like the God that I know. You know, I know, I've read a lot of the Bible, and I hear what you're saying, and I see the scriptures that you're pulling out to prove your point, but that just doesn't seem like the Bible that I'm reading. And so it wasn't that I studied deeply to prove the decision of the point that I made. It was more of a general understanding of what scripture says. And I'm like, this is what I think is going to happen at the end from what I read. I'm not looking at any one scripture. I'm looking at them all together. I don't want to get off into end-time theology too far. That's enough of that. The scriptures are there to tell us who Jesus is. It's to tell us who God is. In the Bible, we read all kinds of miraculous things that happened and occurred with the apostles. Does that mean that only what they've done are the things that we can do? No, not at all. Jesus said even greater works than these. They didn't have automobiles back then. They didn't have computers. They didn't have electricity. I mean, it existed in the lightning, but they didn't have any way of using it. So when your car battery is dead, we have no proof of the, of the apostles praying over a battery that it might start their car even though it's dead. But we can do that. People have, and they've had their car start. People have also prayed over those dead batteries and not had it start and had to call AAA. What I'm saying is that just because God can never put every question that we may ever have into paper, but he can tell us who he is. And once we know who he is, we know what to do with our life. We know what decisions to make. We know who to pray for. We know when to pray. We know what to pray because we're just doing it in line with who he is. It's all about knowing him. Luke eleven fifty two. I just read this, guys. I just found this in the Word. Have never seen this before. I was reading the Bible this week. I'm like, where was this scripture? 30 years, guys, I've been reading my Bible. This is like my 17th Bible. I have a collection of them. We, did, we do um, during um, foundations class. I like to, when we're talking about the Word, I do a little bit of Bible history, where did the Bible come from? How did we get here? During Bible history, I pull out all my Bibles, and, I, and I'm like, this was my first Bible. This is my 17th Bible. Listen to this. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. 
When Jesus says, whoa, it's like, I'm in trouble, right? It's like your mother using your middle name. Matthew, Richard, I'm done. <laughs> woe to you lawyers, you're in trouble. Woe to, he says, woe to you, Bethsaida, right? It'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, guys, with fire from heaven. But it's going to be more tolerable for them for than Bethsaida, who he said, woe to. And so woe to the lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. What does a key do? It opens doors and it lets you in places. You've taken away this key of knowledge of what? Of who God is. If you read the preceding verse, it says you've set all of these burdens on men and yet you don't even do them yourselves. And you've taken away, you've done all this and what's, what's the end result is that you've taken away the key of knowledge of being able to come to the point of knowing who God is. And then he says this, he says, you didn't, even, you didn't enter in yourselves and now you're trying to keep everyone else out. Mark chapter 10. This is the story of the get rich This is the story of the rich young ruler. I want to read this to you. And I want you to look at it because this 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 parable is not about money at all. He's talking to the rich young ruler. But this parable has nothing to do with money. Beginning in verse 17. Now he as he was going out on the road as Jesus was going out on the road one came running and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and he said, Teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. I love this line. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I want to pause right here for a moment. It's almost as if, I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't want to put any hyperbole in here. I don't want to make it seem like something that it's not. But it's almost as if Jesus is walking down the road and this guy comes over, comes running up, and he says what he says, and Jesus just answers him out of routine. It's like he didn't think about the response at first. Jesus wouldn't do that. But that's kind of the impression that I get. And then he answers, and he answers this answer, and he says, all of these things I have done. Listen, nobody's perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God, Jesus catches like, okay, I hear this guy. I hear where he's at. He thinks he's perfect. He thinks he's perfect. And so Jesus stops. I can see him like continuing to walk even as he's saying the, the previous. And then it says he, he looked at him. I can stop. I can see picture. I can picture Jesus just stopping and looking at him, understanding that he's full of pride. And then he just loved him. He saw through all of the, the fallacies. He saw through all of the, the, the falseness, the, the fronts that he put up. And he saw him for who he was. And he loved him. And then he says this, he says, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful 
for he had great possessions. And so too often we get caught up with the fact of like, here's this rich young ruler and Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and then, you know, come in and you will have reward in heaven. Well, and he had great possessions. And so too often we get caught up in the money aspect. We get caught up in the money. This is just what Jesus said to do. He said, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. Let's, let's imagine for a moment, let's imagine for a moment that he had no money. What would Jesus have said to the same man who came with the same attitude? He would have said, hey, I want you to go home and I want you to get rid of every single thing that distracts you and then I want you to come and follow me and you will have great reward in heaven. This is exactly what he's saying. Ecclesiastes tells us that the rich have many burdens because of their possessions. The more you have, the more headaches you have. This is just a biblical principle. I'm not saying anything that any, anybody shouldn't know. If you're here and you're rich, you know that if you have stuff, you have problems. You have a car, you have problems. You have three cars, you have three problems. <laughs> you have a house, you have to fix it. You have three houses, you have to fix three houses. Anybody here that owns their own business? Good God. God bless you. We owned our own business. We owned our own business. All those papers you have to file, paperwork and paperwork and paperwork. It's not about doing the work, it's about the paperwork. What a headache. Not to mention fixing everything. I was a nurseryman. You know what I did all the time? I did plumbing, I did electrical, I did repairs, I did never growing plants. Never. Why? Because stuff breaks. You got to fix it. This is what happens when you have great possessions. Go and sell all you have. Why? I want you to get rid of every distraction that you have so that you can come, take up your cross, and follow me. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, come here. I want you to come and have supper with me. Hey, I want to go to your house tonight. Hey, maybe we could just walk for a bit. What are you doing tomorrow? Let's, let's go walk to the next city and let's just see what God will do there. Actually, God told me what I'm going to do there. You want to join me? This is what Jesus is saying. I can't. I've got to go to work. I've got to watch over this. I've got to give, you know, talk to Bob and make sure that he's doing the thing. <laughs> One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You will have treasure in heaven. Many of us, many Christians, I shouldn't say many of us, many Christians have a poor outlook on eternity because they have little invested there. And it's more than just financial. Hey, this is really good for the offering, by the way. <laughs> many Christians have a poor outlook on eternity because they have little invested there. How many of you know that we, can, we cannot take anything with us? You know that. We can't take one dime. You have a million dollars, you're leaving a million dollars behind. You have 10 houses, you're leaving 10 houses behind. You have 37 cars, you're leaving 37 cars behind. The four planes, the two trains, the New Jersey that you own, <laughs> you're, leaving, you're leaving it all behind. All of it. But we can send stuff ahead. We can, put it there. We can send it ahead to heaven before we get there. 
Why? How? By giving to the poor, by giving to the needy, by giving to the Lord. As we give to the poor and as we give to the Lord and as we give to the church, bring in the tithe, as we do these things, we send it ahead into heaven. Bible tells us this. There it is. You'll have treasure in heaven. We also lay up treasure in heaven when we start to speak to others about eternity. He who winneth souls is wise. There will be reward in heaven for your obedience on the earth. As we obey the word of God over our lives, we earn reward in heaven. I don't know why you need reward in heaven. I don't know what you're going to spend it on. It's going to be perfect there. But for some reason, we're going to have stuff there. I don't know. I haven't figured it out. I don't need to know. All I know is that I am investing in eternity. I want to be invested in eternity. And as I'm invested in eternity, I begin to think about eternity a lot more. And I understand that my days upon this earth are numbered and they're limited and I'll be here for a breath. And then I'll be in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And, we've, and when we've been there 10,000 years, 10,000 times 10,000 years, bright shining out as the sun, we'll, we will have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Glory to God. And we'll still be discovering, I'm convinced, we'll still be discovering new things about who God is. Unbelievable. This is eternity. This is eternity. When we place, when we anchor our hope in eternity, joy will be the result. You don't have joy in your life. You need to anchor yourself in eternity a little bit more. What did Jesus want from this guy? He didn't want his money. That's why he told him to go give to somebody else. Jesus had a little bit of money that he was using. It said that, the Bible tells us that Judas was the one who took care of the money, and he would often steal from it. So Jesus had money. He needed money for his missionary trips. But Jesus didn't tell this young man to give any of that money to him. He said, go sell everything you've got and go give it to the poor. I don't want any of your money. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. You come. You walk with me. We're going to walk to the next city, and then we're going to go to the next city, and then the next. And we're going to do all these crazy things, and you can be part of it. And he went away sad. He went away sad. He couldn't do it. Same call is here right now. Jesus just wants you to come, follow him. What is it that distracts? This is what the fast is all about. The fast is about just giving up not all your money. We, we don't want you to do that. What is it that distracts you from spending time with God? Stop doing that for 40 days and let's press in and let's see God move. God will move. God has moved. We've seen him do it before. He's faithful. Back in 2019... We fasted a 40-day fast. Nobody else was invited into it. It was just me and my wife. Maybe our kids did it with us. I don't remember. At the end of that 40 days, we sought the Lord. Later that year, we began to see things happen in the spiritual realm that had never happened in our life. Why? Because we decided to set a period of time aside, and we were going to remove every distraction, and we were going to press into all of who God is. And there is a reward for fasting, and we got it. And God began to pour out his spirit and pour out his spirit and pour out his spirit. Until this day, the spirit is still being poured out here in this place, I believe, as a result of that fast. And now we've joined together. We've got over 50 people in this fast right now. I don't know how many of you uh, 
didn't sign up, you weren't here last week, you weren't able to sign up, but if you're here today, sign up for the fast if you want to. We'll, 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 we'll send out that email every morning, and you can take part. You can take part in what we're doing and see what God will do. You're going, to, you're going to get blessed whether you take part or not. You don't have to take, you don't have to do the fast in order to get reward. There's a story in Numbers chapter 14, I believe. And sometimes I get the address off by a chapter or two. So if I say a number, just start reading both ways. <laughs> you'll read more and you'll be blessed for it. <laughs> Numbers 14. And Moses calls all of the elders together. And the Spirit of God is poured out on them. And they, they, they come out, they come aside to the tent of meeting. And the Spirit of God is poured out on them and they prophesied. But they were three or four elders back in camp that didn't come when they were called. And they've prophesied too. And someone said to Moses, stop them, for they didn't come out. And Moses said, no, I'm not going to stop them. God's done this. So you may not take part in the fast. You'll still get blessed. You'll get a little bit of the overflow. Are you happy with just the overflow, or do you want to jump in and swim? You want to stand on the edge of the pool in the water just like a little bit on your feet? Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's really cool. It's a hot day, and that's, that's refreshing that it's rolling on my feet. Or are you going to dive in with me? Guys, I'm diving in. I'm, I'm, I'm actually in. I'm out beyond the waves. We're at the sea now. I'm out beyond the waves. <laughs> we changed from a pool to the sea. I'm out beyond the waves, and there's no more crash. There's no more breakers. I'm just in the deep. I have no control anymore. I'm, 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 I'm in danger of being swept away by the Gulf current. And I'm fine with that. There's a song that says, it's a Misty Edwards song, and she says, if I never see the miracles, if I never walk on water, it'll be enough just to know you. I, 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 I could care less. I don't care if I ever see another miracle. I don't care if I ever do any of those miraculous stuffs. That's not why I signed up. That's not why I'm going deep. That's not why I'm out past the breakers. It's only because I want to know him because it's so glorious. It's so good. I can't find anything fun to do anymore. I turn on the TV. It's boring. Well, there's a lot of stuff there that's trash. There's a lot of, most stuff there is trash. The few things that I can watch, they're boring. They don't, they don't thrill me at all. I don't like doing... You know, I do a puzzle once in a while, but that's kind of like, I don't know, play cards, do this, do that, the little games on your phone. It, it, it's all just so empty. <laughs> but knowing Jesus, spending time in his presence, my heart becomes full. I just overflow with his goodness. Come on in. God gave me a vision of the, of the ocean one time, and, and he explained something to me, and I want to share that with you, and then we're going to take communion. We were talking already, the, the, the presence of God is kind of like that, where if you're standing at the ocean and the waves are rolling in and you feel it on your toes, you feel the ocean. That's cool, right? That's good. It's a hot day. That's, that's nice, cool water. And then as you begin to go deeper, it's even better, right? You can get in up to your knees and it's still not too bad. You know, the waves are coming in. 
And then you go a little bit deeper, and the waves, they're hitting you around waist level now. And when the wave hits you, it pushes you back a little bit, right? You've been there. How many of us have been to the ocean? Everybody, I hope. Hopefully, you know what I'm getting at. And the wave pushes you back a little bit, and you're like, oh. And it pushes you back, and, and it's tiring to stay in that spot where you're half in and half out. And then you go a little bit deeper, and you get up to your chest, and the waves, they're going to come, and they're going to crash, and it's going to hit you. And, and, and it rolls you, and you get thrown into the water, and you get ground down into the sand and into the shells. And then you get back up, and you get back out there, and the wave hits you again. You get turned. But if you go out past the breaking waves, and you get out into the calm sea, there's, there's still waves out there, but they're not breaking. You're, at, you're back at peace. There's peace on the seashore, and there's peace in the deep. But if you're anywhere else in between, guys, you're going to just keep getting the breaks. You're going to keep getting tossed down and turned down into the dirt. We were at the ocean in Delaware one time, and we were boogie boarding. You know, you lay on the board, and you, you kind of ride it in. And I was, I don't remember, I had gone in, and then I got up, and I was getting ready to, to, to either walk in or walk back out, and I wasn't expecting it. And the next wave hit. And I, and I got thrown, and I got dragged on the bottom, and I'm all scraped up. And I get up, and there's dirt everywhere, all over, in places, all, all in my suit. And I'm just like, man, that's rough. Man, this is rough. Anybody that surfs knows, right, there's, there's a rough spot out there. You want to avoid the rough spot, go deep. Get out past the waves. The deep presence of God, this is where we're going. This is the invitation. I want to call the worship team up. I want the worship team to come, and I want them to play. We're going to take communion together. As, um, as, I prepared today, as I prepared for communion today, the Lord led me to this scripture in John chapter 6. And it's this really hard portion of scripture. We're going to read it in a minute where Jesus says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it was very offensive. And it says, many of those who, depart, who followed Jesus departed. Watch this. And then Jesus says to the disciples, do you want to leave too? Do you want to leave too? And Peter says, we have come to know that you have the words of life. He says, where else would we go? He says, where else would we go? We have come to know that you have the words of life and that you are the Christ. Jesus is basically saying, we're going to read this in a minute. Jesus is basically saying, because they didn't, un they didn't have the spiritual knowledge to be able to understand what he was talking about. Jesus is saying, you have to become a cannibal if you want to continue to follow me. And they're like, I, I can't do that. And I don't know what you're saying, but where else on the planet am I going to go? What, if, if I leave, what am I going to do? Because you're the only one that has the words of life. And I know that you're the Christ. And so the, although my mind can't conceive and understand what you're talking about, I'm not running. If anything, I'm just going to nail my feet to the floor so that I can't go. I'm going to tie myself to you. You're in, I'm in. You're in, I'm in. You go, I go. You jump, I jump. What do we do when Jesus 
John 6, 53 through 58. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my body, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers who ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus invited us to eat his flesh. At the Last Supper, he clarified and said, this bread, he took the loaf of bread from the table and he said, this bread is my body and it is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me until I return. And so Jesus took that bread from the table. We have bread here now. And he said, take this bread and eat it. This is my body. This is who I am. There's a, there's a descriptive picture in Isaiah of him and, it, of, and in Revelation of them eating paper, of them eating the scroll. We need to devour our word. We need to devour who God is. We need to eat him up. We need to remember what he did. We need to remember what he said. And we need to take part. This is the body of Christ. He came and taught us how to live. He came and invited us into this perfect relationship with him. He came so that we could have the presence of God in our lives in an astounding way. He did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. Today we remember what he did. We remember what he did. We break this and we take it together. God, we are committed to following you with our whole heart to the end. Supper, Jesus took the cup. This would have been the Passover Supper. At the Passover Supper, there's seven cups of wine that get passed around the table. Jesus took the third cup. It's the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. He redeemed us to himself. When they, before they passed the cup of redemption, 
they take the bottle and they fill the cup until the cup overflows and runs out either onto the table or onto the dish in which they've set it. Because the redemption of Jesus Christ is more than enough. It's more than enough. It's more than enough. There is no sin that you could ever commit that God won't forgive you of. This is what the blood of Jesus was done. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin. It doesn't cover them. It washes them away. It washes them away. It removes them. Father, as we come to take the cup of your blood of the new covenant this morning, God, we just take time to remember our sins, our iniquities, our shortcomings, and we ask you to forgive us in Jesus' name. today and you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I want to invite you to do that today. I've been talking about this relationship with God, this ability that we have been given to know who God is, that we would walk with him in the depths of life. If you've never made that decision today to follow him, I want to invite you to do that right now. It is the best decision you will ever make. It is the most exciting adventure you will ever go on. It is the greatest thing. And I just want to invite you to do that today. If you're here, if you're watching online and you want to do that, at, uh, repeat this prayer with me. Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come and live inside my heart, that you would help me to live for you all of the days of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you suffered, died, and were buried, that on the third day you rose again and are seated at the right hand of God. You did it for me so that I could be with you here now on the earth and forever in heaven. Amen.